Hello, I'm James Cornby and welcome to Capital Talk, the private wealth podcast brought to you by Stevenson Harwood. Welcome everyone to the inaugural edition of Capital Talk. You have to imagine a figurative bottle of champagne which will be smashed over the hull of this new ship and we have Oliver Cooper joining us who is a policy lead at the Canadian law firm of Steitman Elliott. Welcome very much. Thanks for having me James. Now we're going to talk about politics. Oliver I first want to ask you whether you think there's a strong possibility we'll see a Labour government with Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister. I think pundits probably put the odds of there not being a Conservative majority at any coming election at about 50%. So 50% chance Boris Johnson gets his way and gets an outright majority, but 50% some other arrangement happens. And there's a non-negligible possibility that actually the outcome would be a Corbyn-led government of some shape or hue. It's unlikely to be a Labour majority, but it could very well be coming in the next year. So it's a realistic possibility and it's certainly one that we can't discount. And if it's a realistic possibility, we have to consider what Labour's tax plans are because we have to try and plan for them. There's been quite a lot of speculation about what Labour's intending to do uh, when it comes to income tax. So I wonder if you can um, give us a few pointers of where you think they're going to go. Well, I think Labour realised the the public is significantly to the left of the economic profession and reality in terms of where tax rates should go. Public opinion polling on this subject shows pretty overwhelming support for the re-adoption of the 50% tax rate that Gordon Brown adopted in 2010. Um, But actually, fundamentally, public opinion and appetite for higher taxes probably goes further than that. What Labour are likely to do, at least on income tax, is adopt a step-by-step approach. They realise that every time they touch that top rate, the Conservatives city of london and some of the people that they're waging class war politics against are going to squeal and they're going to try to stretch that out as long as possible by doing it step by step rather than one go so i think first year you could expect it to go up to 50 percent, and years later possibly up to 60 or 75 i think there's always a trade-off even for people from the hard left as jeremy corbyn and john mcdonnell are between the amount they can raise to put into their public services and the amount of political gain they get from bashing the rich and, and bankers I think you could probably go up to about 75% and still remain within the umbrella of acceptability based on public opinion. You would lead to a hemorrhaging of capital and, and possibly losing tax receipts of something in the order of 50 to 60 billion pounds as a consequence of doing that. That's a non-negligible cost. But they could probably do that and still say that fits within a European social democratic model without being cast as hard left ideologues. That's probably about level they'd stop at. I heard the other day a potential 70% plus on people earning half a million or more. Have you heard similar rumours or is this just part of the uh, wild speculation that's going around? I think wild speculation is is pretty justified, to be honest. Mm. If you look at right now, the amount of tax being paid by the top 1%, it's 29% of all income tax is paid by the top 1% of earners. When the tax rate back in the 1970s was 98%, only 13% of income tax was paid by the top 1% of earners. So actually, if you if you look at the sort of history that we've got with high taxes, it's not a great history, but it is a long history. Um, so as a consequence, they, they do know that those numbers and those rates are in their toolbox, and you shouldn't discount the possibility of them being adopted in the near future. Right. So we talked about income tax. What about uh, capital gains tax rates? Labour has said that we might equalise capital gains tax rates with income tax. Does that therefore mean that we'll see capital gains tax rates up at the 50, 60 or 70% rate? 
It's possible. I mean, the fundamental problem with capital gains tax and politics is most politicians have no idea how it works. And they seem to think that it is applicable in the same way as as income tax without realising that there's a significant amount of tax already paid by any income earning uh, and therefore capital gains creating uh, business and structure. So as a consequence, we have seen it already uh, increase under the coalition uh, government. The consequence of that was a reduction in revenue. If they were to equalise it by going further north, I'm not sure anyone in the public would realise that it happened until they need to sell their small business. Let's move on to taxes on wealth, which is what's getting a lot of our clients exercised. It's all very well taxing your profits, because at least you have some profit in order to hand over some tax. One of the problems on taxes on wealth is you may have to fund them out of savings. We know Labour is promising a donations tax, which could be up to income tax rates. So at the moment, that's a 50% tax rate on gifts, but you're saying that could go up to 60 or 70%. Will we have a wealth tax, do you think? Will they need a wealth tax? I think Labour have been very careful and strategic about what policies and taxes they've been proposing in order. Uh, they've put out quite radical proposals for increasing taxes on land and real estate in the UK, um, as well as income tax. And I think that's got to be a precursor to increasing taxes on, on wealth more generally. Obviously, wealth taxes have not existed in the UK in the past, but they've existed across all sorts of countries in continental Europe, as well as property taxes in the United States. So there's lots of areas where they could introduce a wealth tax on real estate in the first instance, and then spread out from there. That's likely to be the outcome. But then, of course, Ed Miliband in 2015 proposed a tax on on real estate in the UK that would have hit a huge number of London properties to the tune of tens or hundreds the, of thousands. This was the mansion tax. This was, was it? the mansion tax, but they called a mansion tax, but he in quite a lot of ordinary flats in London. But would such a mansion tax or wealth tax, would that attach to the headline value of a property or would it attach to the equity? So what if I have a £3 million property with a £2 million mortgage? What is my taxable value for wealth tax purposes? Which one will they take? It's a good question. Under the mansion tax proposal yeah. put out in 2015, it was actually to the headline value of the property. So even if you were heavily geared and you'd had to take out 100% mortgage to pay for it, you'd still have to pay quite a substantial mansion tax. So at least in that respect, a wealth tax might be a a, a less onerous imposition. The corollary of that, of course, if you are interested in redistribution as Corbyn and McDonnell are, then it's not going to raise enough money and you'll inevitably have to start taxing more things as well. Which is back to the mission creep, which you've kind of implied earlier that they might start with 50 and move up. If they start with a land-based wealth tax, they might move to, to other assets like cash and portfolio assets. Now, that's going to cause a bit of a fright in the wealthy community uh, in the UK. I would expect people to try and start moving their money out of the UK or finding alternative places to invest. And there's been a lot of talk about a potential exchange controls coming in. Is this something that Labour are seriously thinking about? It's certainly been something that's been on their menu of options. Labour have quite extensively held war game sessions chaired by Bob Kerslake, who used to head the civil service, uh, to try to work out on day one, day two, day three, what would happen in the event of a Labour uh, victory in a general election and formation of a government. And, and one of those tools that they've had to look at is trying to work with the Bank of England, which they would then be able to model in their 
own image to control exchange flows. Now, John McDonald has tried to publicly say that they would not impose those exchange controls, but everyone is pretty convinced that the only way that you could stop a meltdown is imposing, at least in the short term, those controls. And behind the scenes, that seems to be the noises being made. And and you say in the short term, I mean, we know Cyprus introduced some short-term exchange controls, which they said would last a couple of weeks possibly a couple of months and then they were there for a number of years so do you actually believe that if we had short-term exchange controls could they just lift them within a month or two or would it have to be for longer i really doubt they'd be in place for a short term that would be the intention in the first place but uh, as the saying goes there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program Um, and i think certainly that would be the case if the new normal were to arise but how how would a, a huge globalized economy like the uk cope with exchange controls i mean the even in this law firm where we're sitting right now the amount of money crossing borders every day is is huge we have real estate transactions we have corporate transactions do we have to go and get treasury consent for every movement of money how would the treasury even cope with the volume of requests i should imagine it will implode under the pressure have they thought about that have they war gamed that how would it work i think this is the one thing that john mcdonald was probably saying honestly when he's denied capital controls would be introduced which is they're unlikely to be comprehensive capital controls of the sort that we saw uh, before 1979 it's unlikely to be there simply to preserve the balance of payments for example as we used to have under Bretton woods instead it's going to be about stopping particular forms of capital payments particularly by individuals and high net worth individuals so it's going to be highly targeted to to stop wealthy people from just moving their money their cash out of the uk i think so i think there's got to be a a realism even within the labor party proposing this would be a realism that actually uh, financial services in the city of london do rely a huge amount on capital being able to cross borders but at the same time the political acceptability of stopping high net worth individuals or multinational corporations moving money across borders is so high that they could probably get away with that without a huge amount of backlash at home. So Oliver, do you feel that Labour's policies might have their sharp edges knocked off them by experts and by civil servants and the reality of governing? Because we all know that the reality of governing is different from the reality of being in opposition. And might even happen before then. In the 2017 general election, there wasn't a huge amount of scrutiny of Labour's policies because people didn't think it was credible that they would be able to form the government. Now I think it's far more credible Mm. and people have woken up, and political commentators included, have woken up to the possibility that happens, which means more scrutiny, which means more realisation of the consequences, and it might mean they back off some of those more adventurous, ambitious plans. Thank you very much for that. I have one final question, which is nothing related to tax. And that's just to ask you, Oliver, in your opinion, what is the king of cheeses and why? Um, it's not the best, most patriotic answer, but I've got to say that there's nothing that, that, that beats a good French brie, to be honest. That might not be the, the post-Brexit answer we, we've got. We've got loads of British cheeses we do marketing around the world, but there's nothing so, so good about our country as the openness that, that comes with our national character, and that means openness even to French cheese. Well, on that bombshell, I thank you very much for your attendance for the first podcast in what I hope will be a long series. Thank you very much for coming along. Thank you, James. Thank you for listening to Capital Talk, brought to you by Stevenson Harwood. I'm James Cornby, and I look forward to seeing you next time.